It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Why Does God Let the Innocent Suffer? Coming up in this episode, we all hate senseless violence and wish it would stop. But when it comes down to innocent people, especially children losing their lives to such violence, we get angry. We want to stop it now. If we as humans are so focused on ending senseless killings, why isn't God in heaven doing anything about them? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. It's great to be with you both. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. I'm happy to be here, but this is such a sad subject. It is. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the time, right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Folks, tragedy hurts. But a tragedy that involves the utterly senseless taking of the lives of innocent children is a blow to the heart that can send us reeling. Such a blow is hard to recover from, and the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, is a recent and horrifying example of this profound pain. Heated debates typically spring up after such a tragedy as everyone wants answers as to how to stop such things. One resounding question that comes from believers and unbelievers alike is, how can an all-knowing, all-powerful God see such things happen and just, well, well, just do nothing? If God is love, as the Bible says he is, how do we even begin to understand what so many consider to be his utter lack of attention and intervention in such tragedies. For the vast majority of us, we can't even begin to imagine the psychological damage on the surviving parents and children and friends and families of those killed in a mass shooting or other horrible event. And of course, our collective fears are, could it happen to me or my family? Could I or my loved ones just simply be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Let's go to just one of many, many, many news clips that are out there about this Uvalde school shooting, just to bring us to the reality of what happened that day. New video obtained by ABC News shows the terrifying moments after that gunman opened fire. Okay, they're getting the kids out. Police officers breaking windows, trying to evacuate the children. The video also capturing what appears to be dispatch audio, sharing with officers they're on the phone with a student trapped in the classroom the gunman had entered. Texas law enforcement detailing those chilling calls from the children. She identified herself and whispered she's in room 112. At 12.10, she called back in room 12, advised there are multiple dead. Again at 12.16, she's called back and said there's eight to nine students alive. 
ABC News learning the gunman was inside the school for 77 gut-wrenching minutes before law enforcement breached the locked door with a key and killed the shooter. Can you e- even even imagine being that child on the phone with your, your classmates, many no. of them having lost their lives? And, and no. there, there's blood and tragedy everywhere. And, you know, your whole life has, has become this incredible, unspeakable nightmare. And so many people ask, why? Why, why, why do these kinds of things have to happen? And that's a big question, and it's an important question. And it's heartbreaking. And this makes me think back to a different attack. It was the time 9-11 occurred and parents started panicking in the schools around us. We lived in an area where there was not only a naval base, but there were many, um, there were submarines being made uh, only um, in our town. And we were only a couple hours away from this terrorist attack that took place. Now, parents were running to the schools trying to take their kids home. And we went to pick up our son. It was a frightening time. Rick and Julie, I, I can't even imagine how the people in this situation uh, felt during this, this shooting. And, you know, one of the tragedies of that is this wasn't the first one. And your mind goes back to others. And you know the, the, the horror that you're possibly going to see. And that big question, is it my child? Is it my child? Is it my child? I can't even, you, you, can't, even, you can't even begin to, to describe what goes on with this. All of this brings us sorrow and uncertainty, to say the very, very least. Death, especially an untimely one, is never easy. God's plan acknowledges these tragic experiences in the context of long-term hope. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23 throughout today's episode, and breaking it down and, and, and trying to piece together something that can put this all in order for us. So Jonathan, let's start with Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there is a small sense of hope here. There's suffering, and then there's later glory, and there's no comparison. Well, that doesn't help you in the moment, but that helps you to see, okay, maybe there is something bigger. Let me, let me pay attention, all right? God's plan is not necessarily easy to comprehend, especially when we suffer the acute pain of loss of loved ones. His plan is not a straight line, and it doesn't always seem to make sense. It twists and it turns, but inevitably it will, be, it will use all present sorrow for the eternal good of those who suffered. Let me say that again. It will use all present sorrow for the eternal good of those who suffered. So you wonder, how is this possible? Yeah, but I'm sure many of our listeners are here for this particular episode because they firsthand need hope and comfort and assurance now that somehow all this makes sense, not this, you know, ethereal, what happens in the future? What do we do now? Well, and and that is the hard part of this. And we are going to really work hard at making it real for right now and then giving the future hope as well. So as we go through the podcast, we're going to we're going to go through two aspects of things. What might not seem sensible and then the necessity of that thing that doesn't seem sensible because we're trying to delineate what God's plan is. So Julie, let's get started with our first point of what might not seem sensible. Well, it might not seem sensible that God allowed sin to enter and to affect all generations of humanity. So let's drop in at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, 
But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So you have a very simple uh, command and it, it, with a very simple consequence. And we, you know, we've gone back to this a hundred times. And the, the point is to set the context for how God's plan doesn't seem to necessarily go in, the, in, in a straight line, but there is sense to it once we put it all together. And now we're going to talk about the necessity of that step. And freedom of choice had, I mean, it had to be in play for the human creation to be in God's own image. See, that's an important aspect. To be created in God's image is to be created with the ability to think and to reason and to choose. This is important. This is a basis. We're going to build on this as we go. We're just, just, just laying some foundation here. So the consequences of Adam's sin created a legacy of sorrow and uncertainty. Well, we mentioned sorrow and uncertainty before. Let's focus in on sorrow for a moment. Sadly, the first recorded human death in Scripture was Cain killing Abel. Think of the sorrow Adam and Eve felt as the first human death was by murder, one son taking the life of another. Genesis 4, 9 and 10. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Remember, this is man's first inhumanity to man. God isn't responsible. Satan is. Remember, he was a murderer from the beginning. John 8, 44. So murder, that's the way the first human death is recorded. It's recorded by murder. Disobedience brought sin. Sin brought injustice. Injustice brought destruction. But think about how long, because Adam and Eve lived for a very, very long time. How long after that murder did they look back on their own decisions and think, our decision put our sons into that position? Without our decision to follow Satan and not God in terms of the guidelines, this is where we brought our, 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 our children. So you, you can see that there's a, it must have been a horrifically difficult thing to deal with because you look back and you have that regret. With regret comes uncertainty. Uncertainty, deep sorrow and loss inevitably, inevitably bring uncertainty. They shake the foundations of our lives and they pierce the armor of stability that we find protection behind. Uncertainty is hard. As uncertainty settles in, it changes the punctuation of our lives from periods and exclamations to questions, lots of questions. That's a really good way to say it. You know, humans aren't comfortable with a lot of uh, uncertain question marks. There's a term that I read about uh, called cascading collective trauma. Uh, it was first coined by psychologist Roxanne Cohen Silver, and it means chronic events with an ambiguous endpoint. We don't know how bad things will get, nor when recovery can truly begin. Question marks, question marks, question marks. And here's where it's hard to grasp onto hope. It's like we're kind of this boat that's kind of floating aimlessly in the ocean, and we don't know when we're going to see land again. So let's go back to our paradox of what might not seem sensible. And here's another one of those. It might not seem sensible that God allowed Satan's influence to continue over humanity. Why would God allow someone who has proven himself to be evil, letting him stay in control? Why? 
and you, you look at that and you say, sure, God should have cut that off. Here's the thing. Free will has the opportunity in all cases with all of us to affect others around us uh, for, the, for, the, for good or for evil. So just remember that the free will in the spirit realm had that same effect, and God needed to allow it so the lesson would eternally be learned. We're going to come back to that uh, later, and we're going to develop that a little bit further. But here's the thing. We want to get back to Adam at this point. He faced uncertainty as an immediate consequence of his sin and of Satan's influence. And when we look at Adam's uncertainty, we want to remind ourselves of the uncertainty of those who've lost loved ones. And they're like, what do we do now? Adam was in a similar what-do-I-do-now circumstance in Genesis 3, 22 to 23. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground for which he was taken. So he is going into an uncertain, untested Un, un, unused environment to develop it himself. And life and death literally hangs in the balance as he has to move forward. Uncertainty comes with sorrow so often. We continue in this environment of uncertainty that Adam's sin exposed us to. We live with it today. It's further complicated when we realize that, and Julie, you already mentioned this, that Satan has dominion in our world and continues to influence us just as he influenced Adam. Now think about that. His influence upon us is very similar to his influence on Adam. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So all these horrible evil acts like mass shootings and, and other things, even though ultimately that's Satan's fault, that still doesn't stop God from coming in and putting a stop to it all. Why isn't that happening? Well, you know, you can ask that question about a lot of things. Why didn't that God stop World War II and the atom bomb? Why didn't God stop the influenza epidemic in, in 1917? Why didn't God stop the Black Plague? Why didn't God stop? Why didn't God stop? Why didn't God right. stop? Going all the way back to why didn't he stop Eve from eating the fruit? Right, and it comes down to the same answer because free will produces consequences, and a lot of them are not good. Now, you look at our free will, and you see how far we've come technologically. That free will was really good. But how far we've degraded morally, that free will, not so good. God lets both of those things run their course. And again, we're going to keep developing this as we go further. The necessity of that step, think about this, Rick and Julie, God's wisdom gives all who have free choice the ability to use it, even when one's choices can stifle or destroy another's. Well, why? The result of sinful choice is always death, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages, the payment for all of those free choices that are out of harmony with God is always death. That's, that's where it brings us. And that's the ultimate answer to this. And that's a pretty depressing answer. And fortunately, that's not the end of God's plan. What we want to do is understand that there's a quiet but powerful thread of hope for all who suffer. Going back to Romans chapter 8, now let's go to verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation 
waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Jonathan, the whole world, what, is, what do they want? They want the pain, the sorrow, the uncertainty to stop. Get, put all those exclamation points on these question marks. That's the anxious longing part of this scripture. But do they actually know what they're waiting for? What is the revealing of the sons of God? And Julie, the sons of God have many names like saints, the bride of Christ, the little flock, and the body of Christ. These are the followers of Christ who have been tested and found trustworthy to reign with Jesus. Oh, and by the way, no Christian organization knows who they are. No group chooses the saints. Only God makes the selection. Why? Because he and only he alone can read their hearts. So when we look at this, waiting for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God, you say, well, when's that going to happen? That essentially happens uh, after the time of trouble has, has come to its close. And then you have God's kingdom being ushered in, and the sons of God are absolutely unequivocally revealed. They are a mystery to the world until then. And, but it, but, but it's, it's how God's plan unfolds. He allows the free will to go all the way down into the degradation where we, we, we're, we're seeing when we look at these shootings, and it says there is something better after. So the world longs for hope, longs for help, longs for, for, for justifying and, 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 and making things right. It comes through the sons of God later. The hope is coming. So as we go through this, Jonathan, suffering within God's plan, it's a, there's a lot of it, Let's see if we can begin to, to delineate how it works. Suffering, especially when innocent ones undeservingly experience it, is harsh. God's plan allows this harshness to exist for a time, knowing that the life experience it gives us will have an eternal impact. An eternal impact. Think how long is eternity? It's something that we need to look forward to. So right from the start, we have a strong hint from Scripture that the end result of all of this will somehow be good. While it's nice to know that God's plan somehow will eventually put all in order, how do I cope right now? The pain we experience over these innocent ones in our lives who suffer will not simply be put aside by a promise of a future, no matter how powerful it is. We need to find the internal resolve to continue moving forward, to continue to find ways to learn how to be strong through our loss, and then learn how to pass on that strength to others. Unfortunately, we have another news clip to share from people simply grocery shopping in Buffalo, New York. This morning, a city in anguish after a gunman opened fire at this supermarket in Buffalo, New York, killing 10 and injuring three others. Evil came into my neighborhood, into my community. Authorities say 11 of the victims were black. This is an absolute racist hate crime. Survivors left shaken to their core. If we would have walked in three minutes later, we probably would have been dead with them because everybody that was running the store, he killed them. Police say 18-year-old storm tops friendly markets Saturday afternoon, armed with multiple weapons, tactical gear, and a camera to live stream the massacre. The shooter later surrendered to police. He's been charged with first-degree murder, pleading not guilty. These people were just shopping. They went to go get food to feed their families. It's just heartbreaking. I mean, it's just there's, there's nothing to say. 
Um, you know, that Buffalo, New York shooting happened on May 14th of this year, 2022. Within 10 days between that and the Uvalde, Texas shooting, there were 18 mass shooting events around this country. And at the time we went on air right now, 69 since Uvalde, Texas and counting. Uh, there's actually a Wikipedia page list of mass shootings in the United States in 2022. And people in this country here are vehemently arguing over how we got out of the control. Is it gun control, mental illness, funding, violent video games, the easy access to gruesome news and social media? How did we get to a place where there's such a casual disregard for human life? And you know, the interesting thing is <laughs> the average person doesn't have that casual disregard for human life, but we live in a world where we potentially accept things that bring us there. And you got us, and this is, this is a really heartfelt moment for, for, for many of us as we look at this whole thing. And, and when you're dealing with these kinds of things, you know, we talked about sorrow and uncertainty. Well, now let's look at humble hope and strength because it's hard. Now we have to build something. We have to find a way to stand. Walking our life path that has now become one of uncertainty and deep sorrow is no easy task. What was once a paved road has now become a mud-filled mire where each step is now full of stress and strain. Hope lies in taking small steps that quietly develop humble strength. Small steps to quietly develop humble strength. There's no big fix. There's no touch somebody on the shoulder and they're going to feel better. There's those small steps. Psalm chapter 102, verses 1, 4, and 7, just give us a sense of, of the pleading with God in trial and difficulty. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. I lie awake, and I become like a lonely bird on a housetop. While this whole Psalm 102 is special in that it's prophetic of Jesus, on its surface, this is just David crying. And don't we sometimes feel just like David, especially when we hear of these horrific stories in the news? And we can identify with, hear my prayer, let me cry out to you. We, we have this sense of, of longing, especially when we're faced with such tri a trial and tragedy. It, it tends to make us pause and look up. The question is, what do we see when we look up? So what might not seem sensible is that God allowed humanity to continue to make their own selfish choices. And let's look at Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. All right, so that Greek word for futility, its biblical usage is devoid of truth and appropriateness, perverseness, deprivation, frailty. I picture like a hamster wheel. You know, you run and you run, but you aren't going anywhere. So my question is, why would God purposefully subject the whole human race to this futility? How could this possibly result in hope? The, sin, the lesson of sin's consequences and our inability to cancel sin had to be learned regarding the animal sacrifices of Israel in Hebrews 10, 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, you know, how, how can God <clears throat> subject us to that? It's because that was the choice. 
And, you know, you look at the choices that a generation makes and the next generation picks up on it and so forth and so on. <clears throat> and you, you, we find ourselves in this really difficult scenario where there, there's, there, seems to be, there seems to be absolutely no way out. And even in the Jewish law, they were sinful and they had to give, give those, 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 those animal sacrifices year by year to atone for those sins. But though, they, that, they couldn't take it away permanently. And so what we have is Jesus as the proverbial lamb slain to take away the sins. So God, you, you have this, this, this question, well, why allow humanity to continue? Because the consequences need to be clear and understood, and they need to be generational, and they need to be let to, to themselves. That's the way God's plan works. He's thorough when he blesses, and he's thorough when he allows sin to develop. You said the lamb was slain, that that scripture before the foundation of the earth is Revelation 13, 8. And so you're saying he pre-planned a long-term solution. We just didn't know it. Right, right. And okay. sin's consequences had to be learned. Teaching a lesson for eternity, the teaching tool has to be the most effective teaching tool possible. And the necessity of that step God, in his patience, allows darkness under Satan to have its full measure. He sees the beginning from the end. We don't. And we need to trust what he sees. You know, I recently heard this described as watching a parade. And when we watch a parade, we can only see those parade floats that are directly in front of us. But God's able to see the entire parade. And he sees the beginning and the end. So I guess we have to trust that. Well, and, and that's, a, that's a big point. We do have to trust that. And, and, and we talked about at the beginning of the segment, how do we find uh, hope and humble strength? You know, how, how do we find it here? Folks, here, here's, here's the equation. To understand what God sees, to understand the ability to see the whole parade, we need to know who God is so we can embrace what God does. So we want to just take a few minutes and define through one scripture, through one, one set of verses in Isaiah, we want to define who God is and what he does so we can begin to understand him and then we can begin to see what he sees. First, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 55, 7. First, God is love and therefore he has a plan to forgive sins. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he abundantly pardoned. But again, I see that God is love, but we're talking about the, you know, air quote, innocent here, not the forgiving of sins. So why does God let the innocent suffer? And I, I understand no one is completely innocent. No one's truly innocent because we're all born in sin. But you know what I mean? Those children going to school, the people just going to the grocery store, they weren't doing anything wrong. So God allows the innocent to suffer because that's the consequence of choice. Why did Abel have to die at the hands of Cain? He didn't. God actually gave Cain a way out. He didn't take it, and Abel had to die. He was completely innocent in that. Why? Why does that have to happen? Because disobedience brings sin, and sin brings death, and unfortunately, humanity is a tremendous purveyor of that sin and death one to another. Now, we, we, all, we look at everybody and say, well, everybody's not in that same category. There are just some people that are evil. That's true. That's true but it's all part of this large grand plan. Let's go through 
and continue to define who God is. God is love. We, we started with that. Next, we're going to see God's wisdom and the fact that his wisdom is above our own. And this is key, Julie, in answering that question. God is wisdom, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you think about this. God is saying, I know what you're thinking, but my thoughts are higher than what, you, what you're thinking. My ways, my plans are higher than your ways. I understand. I created. I have a clear objective. You're in the middle of this tapestry. You can't see outside of where you are. I can. You need to understand that my wisdom, this is God speaking, is higher. Give it time. That's the key. Give it time. Next, we're going to see God's justice as an assurance that all wrongs will be made right. 50, Isaiah 55.10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, the furnishing and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So this is showing that God allows the earth to produce for everyone, not just the better people, but for everyone. There is a justice in that. He gives everybody, incidentally, everybody gets the same sentence, the same sentence of sin and death. None of us are privileged to be above that. We're all going to, to die because of sin. So you can see that God's justice is a big part of this, and his wisdom, his, his justice is expressed through that wise way of handling things. Next, we're going to see that God's power is clearly focused on accomplishing his will. Isaiah 55, verse 11. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So God says, if I say it, it's going to happen. That's his power. So we can see the four attributes of God here. God's love, God's wisdom, God's justice, and God's power. They work together. And interestingly enough, next in Isaiah 55, verses 12 and 13, we're going to get a glimpse of God's plan. So these set us up to see what the plan looks like. Isaiah 55, 12 and 13. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, and other translations say, or briar, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. So thorns and briars form a thicket. The curse upon the ground of thorns and thistles, that will be we find in Genesis 3, 18, that'll be lifted, that curse. So God's plan is saying that curse. Now think about the power of that, because remember, we're talking about free, free choice. You got to have free choice. It's, it's a curse when it's a, in a sinful environment. And this is saying that curse will be lifted. So now you have that sense of hope that you can say, wait a minute, God does have a, a, a rhyme and reason to this whole thing. Our humble strength that this can help to develop is fueled by the unmistakably detailed plan of God for humanity. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 through the New Living Translation, and especially verses 10 and 11. They're, they're just, these are some of my favorite verses in Scripture. Jonathan, go ahead. 
God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Okay, now look, just to give you an illustration, I, 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 <laughs> I love this verse, and it makes me feel like being in a football huddle, okay? You get in the huddle, and you got the quarterback, and the quarterback is Jesus, and says, okay, here's the plan, because that's oh, what this, this, is, this <laughs> verse is saying. He says, at the right time, God's going to bring everything together under me, under Christ. So, you go along, I'm going to throw you that pass, and we're going to score this touchdown. Because everything in heaven and earth will be under God through me, and God will make everything work according to his plan. Touchdown. You win <laughs> the game. This is, what, this is what's being said. It's a mysterious plan. Only a few know. But it's God's plan. And remember, when God says it, it happens. And well, here we go. I mean, verse 10, Jonathan, you read, and this is the plan. It literally says that. So the plan is revealed. But Rick, like you said, the whole world doesn't realize it. You know, the majority of people have no idea that God is working on this plan that started before the earth was even created. And I like that we've just described who God is, love, justice, wisdom, power, just a few of his amazing attributes. And now we can look at the plan that has to do with Christ and everything in heaven and earth being brought under his authority. So once we get the idea of who God is, we see that his plan is holy, good, and with purpose. Now we can begin to see with God's eyes. See, this plan includes everyone being given a clear and complete understanding of truth. How do we know that? 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And this word knowledge means recognition by implication, full discernment. Everyone will understand. The time, this time frame in this verse refers to after the resurrection of mankind. That's when they are taught. See episode 1083. What is the end times resurrection about? How does it work? Go to ChristianQuestions.com or the Christian Questions app and enter 1083 into the search bar. So who do you want as your quarterback in this plan? I vote for Jesus Christ because it's God's plan and Jesus is the one carrying it out and it gets carried out to perfection for everyone. So, Jonathan, as we pause, let's take a look at suffering within God's plan. What do we have so far? When we begin to grasp the magnitude of who God is, we can begin to understand what he does. The result is an assurance that God, in his love and wisdom, has an answer for the suffering of this world. This understanding feeds our foundation of humble strength so we can cope with our pain and losses. God does have an answer. This can give us that hope and that strength to say there's more to it than what I'm feeling right now. Glimpsing God's character in the focus of his mind is an inspiring start to standing again, even when we are so broken. Hope and strength are important. What details of God's plan can we hold on to so we can better endure our trials? Well, the Bible is full of details, examples, and prophecies of how God's plan will unfold. At this point, we're going to look at several details that help us to see how several of the seemingly confusing pieces of redemption and reconciliation through Jesus 
will actually work. Understanding these will help us carry on through our pain. This was a really difficult episode to prepare for because there's no one scripture we can quote that will suddenly make all your hurt go away. But back in episode 1213, Is God Happy With My Attitude?, we studied the Beatitudes, and it was a beautiful lesson. And in Mark 5, 4, sorry, Matthew 5, 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we learned that part of mourning is a recognition that we don't have an answer within ourselves to fix whatever we mourn over. It's beyond us. So we recognize that we need something bigger, bigger than we are, to help us through that experience. And this grief of loss, it's real, and it needs filling. And Jesus knew this and gave us promised blessing of comfort if we search the scriptures for it. We should have a dissatisfaction with present conditions. We want to long for the better things coming in God's divine plan for mankind. Definitely. So let's look at endurance. Let's because that's our next step. You know, we, we looked at that humble hope and strength, and, and we talked about sorrow and uncertainty, endurance now. We need to, to, to develop that because this is a long road uh, in, in dealing with this. In wake of tragic loss, we usually just try to survive, let alone endure. Yet, if we continually look to tap into the strength of God's plan, which you're getting glimpses of, endurance will come to us because it feeds us for the long run. It feeds us. A great scripture to give you that peace and that sense of rest is Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The time we are living in causes many of us to be heavy laden. We are heavy with a never-ending pandemic, wars, violence, economic distress, not to mention the daily individual traumas we might experience. People are emotionally exhausted. Yeah, for sure. I read an article recently called, We're All Coping With So Many Collective Traumas at Work Right Now. It was by the author Monica Torres. And what, what I got out of it was that when it comes to endurance, we get hit with one thing after another. And the article said, quote, the impact feels greater each time because we have lower and lower capacity to deal because we haven't had enough time to recover from the last thing. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Um, there was um, a psychotherapist named Esther Boykin who likens it to catching a cold and then getting an allergic reaction plus an infection on top of that. <laughs> so the article said, we may be weathering the same storm of traumas, but we're all on different boats. And to me, that means some people are really more affected by this than others. And we have to be patient with each other and try to help each other as best as we can. So, you know, it, it, it comes down to putting things in perspective and saying, you know, one small step at a, at a time and endurance. Endurance wins this race because it's a long one. It's a hard one. And whether we suffer loss because someone was unjustly murdered, like in these examples, or we, somebody we know died from COVID or in acts of war or anything else that happens, accidents, none of it's fair, but it's all there and it all needs to be dealt with. And we need to have that endurance that says, let me see as God sees so I can see what he sees and appreciate where things are going. 
knowing that there's a finish line will help us to get there. And so let's go back to one of our examples of what might not seem sensible. So what might not seem sensible is that God allows the vast majority of humanity to be stuck in the mud of corrupted thinking without letting them know of their future hope. That seems like it shouldn't be that way. Let's listen to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Well, how about the necessity of that step? Well, God knows this is all part of the full expression of free will. Yet, we are told that this time of corruption will end in a grand and glorious fashion. And we need to understand that the full expression of free will needs to be there. And it's it, we don't like it when it, it, it uh, affects us adversely, unless the expression of free will is all about me, then I like it, you see. So, well, <laughs> yeah, because this free will is what's getting us all into trouble, but we all complain when we don't have, we can't do what we want. Right, and sometimes what we want is evil. And, and so you've got this whole mixed bag that God allows to unfold. Romans 8.21 builds on this. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Again, the fulfillment here is after the resurrection on earth. So that full expression of free will without righteousness is, in fact, slavery to corruption. We had another article that I'd read that I wanted to share a little bit about. We're going to go ahead and put it into uh, CQ Rewind, the exact quote from it. Um, But it was about coping with cascading collective traumas in the United States. They said news has been almost entirely bad with escalating intensity. In addition to a round-the-clock news cycle, individuals across the world have embraced pocket-sized smartphones with easily accessible cameras that capture graphic videos of disasters and other tragedies and rapidly disseminate images widely with a click. Traditional and social media now broadcast collective traumas across the country and globally in record time. Now, these are associated with mental and physical health consequences. What's happening is we are completely re-traumatizing ourselves by doom scrolling the news. Doom scrolling is when we are continually scrolling through and reading depressing or worrying content on social media or news site, especially when we do it on our phones. And we have to find a way to feel it without having it overrun us. Yes. Don't get lost in the sorrow. It's important to consider professional help in the aftermath of our own personal trauma or if we are overly affected by what is going on around us. But it's interesting because there's a thing called post-traumatic growth. And the research on this is really interesting. It's when a person experiences positive changes resulting from major life crises. Now, someone who survives cancer, for example, might dedicate their lives to helping others with cancer. They may feel a stronger connection to friends and family, a stronger religious faith, and may find they have new interests and opportunities. And there are several studies that show suffering may prompt some people to be more compassionate and generous towards others. And that to me looks like a glimpse of how things will be in the future kingdom of God. And Jonathan, earlier you brought up 9-11. The overall kindness and respect that people had for each other in this country immediately after that horrific tragedy was shocking and well-documented. It was amazing. Okay, so we put all of this in order, and all of this is happening in the context of the slavery of the corruption to sin. And this is the full expression of free will. 
this is where we are. So let's let's now review uh, how God's plan unfolds for Christians and for non-Christians. And if you can count to two, <laughs> you can see God's amazing plan revealed. For example, there are two resurrections. One for the faithful Christians and the other for everyone else. John 5, 28 and 29. Don't be so surprised indeed. The time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. This is showing a heavenly and earthly resurrection. Okay, back to our two. There are two enlightenments. One now for those called to Christianity. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Who has been saved? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of his Savior, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, one later for everyone else, Isaiah 40, verse 5. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we saw resurrection described in two different ways, one for the righteous, those who follow Christ, and one for the unrighteous, the everybody else, to judgment. And now we see enlightenment happens in two different ways. It happens first for Christians, for those who are following after Christ, but later— Isaiah tells us unequivocally, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. So there's an enlightenment that does come for everybody else. It's just not now at the same time as for Christians. Back to our two. There are two ways that bring life to humanity. The first takes place now for Jesus's disciples, Matthew seven fourteen. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. The second takes place later for all the resurrected masses. Isaiah 35, 8 through 10. A highway will be there, and it will be called the highway of holiness. No lion will be there, nor will any ravenous beast go up on it. But the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So the two ways that bring life to humanity, there's a narrow, difficult, hard way right now for those who follow Christ, and then there's a highway, a six-lane, I'm just making the six lanes up, but a six-lane highway out there for the world to be able to walk freely upon because they are redeemed by Christ. So you've got two different ways that bring life, both work. Different kinds of life, but both work. There are two covenants for life. First, to faithful Christians as those who will bless all the families of the earth. Galatians 3, 27 and 29. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Second, to all of humanity through the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 31, 34. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord? For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So again, that point on two, two covenants for life. 
in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The true followers of Christ are part of that seed that blesses all the families of the earth. And then in Jeremiah, all men will know God from the least until the greatest. He will forgive their iniquities and not remember their sin anymore. Two promises both bring life. One more, two. There are two types of life. First, divine nature for true followers of Christ. Second Peter 1, 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be partakers of the divine nature. Second, eternal life for everyone else. Romans 5, 19 and 21. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous, so that just as a sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the followers of Christ get this divine nature to be like God and Jesus, but the world of mankind receives eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's all life. It's all good. There are two ways, but they both work for the benefit of all of humanity, and that includes those that we have lost in such tragedies as we're talking about. So Jonathan, suffering within God's plan, what do we have so far? When the details of God's plan begin to scripturally unfold right before our eyes, it can change us. This unfolding brings assurance that God is ultimately in control through all of our pain and loss. The hope of God's plan becomes clearer and that brings the endurance needed to fight another day. And that's what we need, is endurance. To see as God sees, to understand that there is a future in which all will be blessed. So, as we let this sink in, we more fully realize that by God's grace, our pain and suffering is only a temporary condition. What is the end result for me and those whom I love, who have suffered painfully and needlessly? The end result of all this is a perspective on the future that is so full of possibilities that many would call it too good to be true. As we further lay out prophecy, we will further verify not only the true character of God, but we will also more deeply appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus. Because God sent his son, all suffering and losses will be reconciled. Rick, how can a tragic loss be reconciled? A tragic, and, and that's a good question, because you, you suffer a loss, and you say, okay, it's over, it's done. You can't get back what you've lost, but you can. And that's what the resurrection is. The reconciliation is because Jesus died for everyone, and those children shot in those, in the, in, in, in those school shootings and, and, and those people who lost their lives in the, in the shooting in, in Buffalo and all of the other tragedies, all of them have the reconciliation through God's plan and the resurrection provided by Jesus. And this brings us to godly perspective and renewal. And this is important. Godly perspective brings renewal. Having been pierced with the pain and sorrow and battled with uncertainty, we need humble strength and hope. We're kind of reviewing where we've been. Locking onto God's perspective unlocks our endurance, and we can now finally approach our tragedies with godly perspective, seeing what God sees. Renewal always comes. It always comes when we look through God's eyes. So what might not seem sensible 
is that God allows all of us to suffer and that suffering eventually and always ends in death. And we see that in Romans 8, 22 to 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So did you catch that? Here there's another set of two. We have two parts to God's plan, the whole creation groaning, and we ourselves, meaning the faithful Christians, are groaning. Another set of two. Back to the necessity of that step, and that is, there's no escaping death, the automatic end result for the sinful race of Adam. Jesus came to do the work of buying back the human race from sin, death, and the damaging ripple effect they have caused. And so when we have incessantly talked about, you need to have free will, work, at, work through, it has to follow through, it has to finish, it has to come to its full. This is what the plan of God is. And now we're going to look at how this works out, how this actually works out in the end. So to begin tracing the big picture of how God's plan unfolds, we need to start in the middle with Jesus. We're not starting at the beginning. We start in the middle because that's where all the action is. You've got the sin and death and all of that stuff before. You've got sin and death and all that stuff after. And then you have Jesus right at the middle. Here is what Jesus did. Listen carefully to this verse, Acts 3, 18 through 21. And again, we'll use the New Living Translation. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. So there is a time of final restoration of all things. Now this time of final restoration can only come after all of the trouble has come to its completion because you can't restore something that you're going to continue to break. You have to let it get completely broken and then the times of restitution come into play so that it can be rebuilt the right way. And that's part of a restoration process. I used to do uh, fine furniture making and some furniture repair. And one of the things you do when you need to restore a chair, for instance, is you need to pull every single part of it apart. You need to pull it all apart and you need to get all the old, all worn off glue off and then rebuild it with the right kinds of things and repair the things that were broken. That's what this time of restitution is. The return of Jesus brings restitution which means restoration. Now let's take a look at how that works. Remember, you've got trouble first. Now Zephaniah 3, 8, and 9 show us two parts of this restorative process. The first part, not so good, but just wait for the second. Zephaniah 3, 8, and 9, let's do verses, uh, verse 8 first. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. Boy, does that sound harsh. But think about the harshness that brings God's anger. Think about all of the injustice, all of the sin, all of the misery that we have piled upon ourselves with our own choices. And incidentally, folks, right now in our world, most people think they're as good and as smart as God. They just do. 
And you know what? This is proving we're not. And God allows it. And when it's time, he says, enough. It's ending. And here's what happens. Verse 9 is what happens afterwards. For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. Now we know this is using symbolic language as we're assured that the earth abideth forever in Ecclesiastes 1.4. So we know the literal earth isn't going to burn up. But the fire here, isn't this interesting? It results in purified lips. So here's one way we know that resurrected humanity can't just be doomed to a burning hell or else they wouldn't be calling on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. So you see that the prophecy gives you both sides. You know, that's one thing about the scriptures, folks, that you need to just, just be willing to absorb and accept it. They're very, very, very honest. They're honest about the permission of sin, the permission of evil, the permission of death, the permission of injustice, the permission of tragedy. And then they show you God saying, enough, the time is right, and now there's something called restitution that begins to come into play. What does this look like? And folks, for those of us who have lost loved ones, however we've lost them, whether it be a shooting or through sickness or through old age or whatever it is, it's never comfortable, it's never fair, and it's never good. Let's pause now. Let's look at God's kingdom. Daniel 2, 44 gives a sense of how powerful this kingdom will be. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. To think of God's kingdom enduring forever is very comforting. Satan's kingdom now with all its tragedies and its horrors will come to an end because this present time, we are assured, is temporary. And, you know, when you look at this verse in relation to the last verse, the Zephaniah verse, it says, I will uh, pour out my indignation on them and my burning anger. This verse says that God's kingdom is going to crush those previous kingdoms and it will replace them. Both verses are talking about the same thing. And they're saying that there is this massive replacement, this massive restoration to what the earth should be that God is engineering through the returned Lord Jesus. So we get a sense of how powerful this kingdom will be. Well, let's take a look at how righteous, God-fearing, and peaceful his coming kingdom will be. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and let's, Jonathan, let's do 1 and 2 to start. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So you have a very clear sense, according to prophecy, that God's kingdom will be set. And it talks about mountains. Mountains typically represent governments in Scripture, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains. In other words, it will be the governing force in the world. And it says, the word of the Lord will go forth from, through Zion, from Jerusalem. So you get even a, a physical sense of what that kingdom looks like. What happens when this is all established? Well, let's read verse uh, 3 of Micah chapter 4. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. So when we talked about how God-fearing and peaceful this kingdom will be, the training won't be for war. It will be for the cultivation and the development of the earth and making sure that there is a harmony and a unity between peoples. And it goes even further. Verse 4 and 5 of Micah chapter 4 give us an even deeper sense of what this kingdom looks like. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one to make them afraid. Uh, Wait, let me read that again. With no one to make them afraid. How does that sound? Wonderful. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the peoples walk, each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So you get a sense that there is enough. There is enough for everyone to be able to live in peace with no one to make them afraid. You know, Jonathan, when you mentioned your experience from 9-11 and the families running because they were afraid, and you think of the families running to the school in Uvalde because of what happened and the fear and the tragedy and the anguish, all of that is gone. All of that is wiped away in this kingdom of God. So we've looked about how, how, it, how it works. We looked at the power of it. Now let's look at how the people will be led and developed in God's kingdom. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 8 to 10. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Well, there's no lion that's going to be there. And remember in 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil is described as a roaring lion. In Revelation 20, verse 2, Satan will be bound during the thousand year day of judgment. So he'll not be able to interfere with man's recovery and no ravenous beasts. Well, in Daniel chapter 7, beasts symbolically represent earthly governments. This means no evil governments will influence the world. It will be an environment to grow in. It says the redeemed will walk there. And all of the redeemed are all who died in this world of sin and death. And so if you've lost loved ones, they are amongst those that are redeemed. They have the opportunity to make their lives godly and right in that kingdom. So let's look at at, at how the depth of the promise for life through Jesus will be fulfilled with God's kingdom. One last scripture, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And we have just one prayer for those listeners hurting. It's found in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Getting to that hope sometimes is one small step at a time. And folks, what we're encouraging you to do is just take that first step. Take that first step to realize that God is ultimately in control and that he has something that we can all look forward to and it can bring us comfort when we are so broken now. Jonathan finally suffering within God's plan. Based on all we have seen, we can be assured 
that we will be reunited with our loved ones again in God's kingdom. No matter the suffering and pain in this life, the resurrection promises a new opportunity for perfection. Let us take this perspective and find renewal now as we cope with our losses. God is love. Believe it. We do. We need to believe it, folks, because we live in a really hard time. We live under difficult circumstances, and we often wonder why. It's because God's plan is in the process of unfolding, and we're in the part of it that really is uncomfortable. But through this discomfort comes the resurrection, comes a perfect earth, and comes the perfect opportunity for every human being to live a perfect life forever. And that's a long time. Suffering endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Folks, hold on to these things. Let them be a help to you as you walk through your own personal tragedies and difficulties. And may God bless you in seeing his way as you deal with your hardships. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to your Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate us and review us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, can Christianity and paganism work together. Now, this is part one of a two-part series, and this is an important series because these are questions that a lot of people are saying, ah, there's a pretty simple answer. Well, is there? Talk to you next week.